choir directors are creative, resourceful, dedicated, and sometimes completely out of ideas. Not to worry, the Choir Ninja is here with solutions you never saw coming. Get ready for some time-tested wisdom from the master. Ryan Guth is the Choir Ninja. Today's episode is brought to you by SightReadingFactory.com. Do you hate teaching sight singing? Do you have a carbon footprint the size of Sasquatch because you run off endless sheets of sight singing examples only to hear your students groan in agony when it's time to sight sing in rehearsal? SightReadingFactory.com is a web-based tool that will compose custom sight reading examples based on specifications that you choose. Your choir will actually enjoy sight singing and so will you. Plus, you will get back hours of your life and finally feel like the choir ninja you were destined to be. If that isn't cool enough, you can add student accounts that link directly to your teacher dashboard so your kids can practice or even take recorded assessments from home. As a sponsor of this show, SightReadingFactory.com has an exclusive deal just for you, Choir Nation. When you purchase their insanely affordable one-year subscription, you will unlock 10 free student accounts just for using the promo code NINJA at checkout. That's Ninja, N-I-N-J-A. So head over to SightReadingFactory.com. That's SightReadingFactory.com. And don't forget to use the promo code Ninja at checkout to unlock your 10 student accounts absolutely free. Hey there, Choir Nation. This is Ryan Guth with the Choir Ninja Podcast, and I'm very happy to welcome you today to an episode all about maintaining audience engagement throughout your concert. This is just to make sure there are no awkward moments, because of course, this is the second of four episodes entitled So Awkward. So in today's episode, what I'd like to do is speak with you a little bit about some foolproof ways so that you can maintain audience engagement throughout the entire concert. We're going to go over things like rehearsing movement, making sure there's no dead air, making sure that the flow of your concert is intentional, uh, making sure that every piece is important to your audience, assuring that there's balance within your program, uh, the things uh, that you should consider the length of your concert, and also some other ways to send your audience home with some real good feelings. So I do really hope you enjoy this episode because this is something that I'm really good at, and I am so thrilled to share it with you because I'm really passionate about audience engagement. So I hope that you enjoy. The first thing that I want to get into is making sure that you do everything briskly. And I use the word briskly because that's the word that I use most often when I'm talking to my students about logistics, about movement during a concert. Uh, That is moving from the choir room to the stage or moving from the audience to the stage or moving from the stage to the floor seated and things like that, that every movement is always brisk and it needs to be rehearsed. So the things like getting up onto the risers, making sure that they're in already in a prearranged order so that when they come, let's say from the choir room to the risers, that they're already in order in riser order. Uh, Things like, uh, again, getting down and getting seated. If you have groups that uh, are seated during the concert, but that get up, Um, in the middle of the concert to get up on stage, 
How does that work? Are they actually assigned seats in the auditorium so they can stand up and move quickly? Have you rehearsed standing them up? Have you rehearsed sitting them back down? Uh, Are they doing all those things in unison? Uh, So everything must be brisk and it must be rehearsed. And I, I believe that you should rehearse all of logistical movements throughout your concert during your dress rehearsal. Uh, just making sure that they are sane looking, that nobody is, you know, oh, where do we go now? You know, um, I talked about it in the first episode that you should have a flow that you can distribute to your choir. Uh, this is what the concert's going to look like. This is when concert choir gets up and then women, women's choir goes down or, or things like that. Uh, so they, they just know what's coming and that way they can do everything confidently and briskly. So that's the first thing. Just do everything briskly and you can steal my word. That's a great word to use. The second thing is no dead air. Now, if I were to stop speaking, don't you feel uncomfortable right now? I just stopped in the middle of this podcast. You expected me to be speaking, but I literally just let it go silent for like five seconds. And that was probably like the weirdest five seconds of this podcast. And the same thing happens when you have an audience that is sitting there watching you get on the risers or they're watching watching a group get down and then stand up and then shuffle around and make their 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 way up onto the up onto the stage and they're you know, maybe they weren't rehearsed and maybe there's nothing going on. It's the same thing as awkward church whenever, you know, there should be some like movement music, you know, but the ushers are still making their way to the front or uh, or the pastor's kind of uh, transitioning over to communion and there's like nothing going on and you're just kind of awkwardly sitting there. Like that's what it feels like to be in the audience of a, of a, of a badly planned choral concert. So I really think that you should have some way of connecting everything together. That could be with music. That could be with speaking. I'll tell you what I do. Uh, I do both. And uh, I have a concert, very simple concert coming up literally today, the day that this episode is being, is being uh, released, which is why this is so fresh in my mind. I have three ensembles performing at this concert. So the first one, like we said in the first episode of the series, if you haven't l- listened to it, go back and listen. Uh, the, very first, the very first ensemble is singing right off the bat. After that, there will be a little introduction uh, while the women's choir gets on stage. That'll be me speaking and welcoming people. But right after me, we're going to have um, a soloist. And that soloist is going to make sure that there is a, a really nice, smooth transition between me speaking, getting them back, the audience back engaged and singing uh, with music and singing again, and then women's choir will perform. After women's choir, there's going to be another soloist. Now, it just so happens that each of these soloists will be um, guitar and voice acts just because of the nature of the particular program that I'm doing. Um, So they're pretty much going to like walk across the stage, strumming and singing, and that will make sure that the other groups are ready to go by the time uh, that soloist is is done with their guitar and their singing, and it just it it's nice and smooth. It prevents me from having to like tell music jokes or something, and uh, it just keeps the audience engaged in listening to music. I think if we end up speaking too long uh, in between, and it's or it's only speaking in between groups, then 
it it tends to be a little boring and and we sort of lose the audience's attention. So so I use music uh, in between ensembles. So I find that works really really well. Uh, and then uh, speaking. I believe that there should be speaking sometimes when necessary uh, by the director or if you have a real charismatic student, I guess you can do that too. I tend not to use students for that, but I know a lot of people are able to use students um, with much success in introducing pieces of music and things like that um, in between numbers. I don't think you need to speak in between every number, but maybe you can introduce a set that has multiple pieces within it where there's no applause in between. That way you can really tie those few pieces together uh, and only do one introduction and then uh, continuous music for the next, you know, 10, 12, 15 minutes, something like that. That helps a lot uh, to, to keep things moving. Uh, but I don't think you need to speak in between every piece. But this brings me to my next uh, my next point, which is actually my next couple points, which is make sure your flow is intentional. You know, do you start with the youngest group just because they're the youngest? You know, is it the sixth grade choir, the seventh grade choir, then the eighth grade choir because the eighth grade is the oldest? Um, is there a particular reason why? Um, you know, just be aware of arbitrary programming. Arbitrary in that, like, why are you doing these pieces? Are they connected together? Um, why do you have this this piece at this point in the program? Why do you have this piece at this point? Why this ensemble now and why this ensemble later? That kind of thing. And I have to tell you, um, when I was teaching middle school, I had to account for choir members in multiple groups because what we would do is do a sixth grade concert and a seventh grade concert and an eighth grade concert, which meant you know by eighth grade, there were kids in choir, there were kids in my select choir, there were kids in my handbell choir, there were kids in band, there were kids in jazz band, there were kids in orchestra, and there were kids in select orchestra. And so you have, you know, seven groups, um, you know, performing at at a concert, and there we had a real talented group of kids, and there was going to be multiple kids um, that are overlapping. So we actually really need to be very intentional about our programming. Uh, and even to the point where we had to rework the physical layout of the concert, uh, and rehearse those logistics. Uh, this is to the point where jazz band was set up on one side of the stage. The bell choir was in front of the stage. Uh, the, the choir was on, um, the other side of the stage risers on the floor, and then the bands and orchestras, uh, performed, uh, from the stage itself. And so it made for um, really smooth transitions because we could all, and we just pointed lights in different directions. So we had the ability to, okay, so say now it's jazz band, the student, the student lighting person turned up the lights on jazz band. And then when it was time for the, the bell choir, we would you know turn the one fader down, turn the other fader up onto the, onto the front of the stage, and it was the bell choir. So we always had the ability to um, smoothly transition from group to group. There was no dead air, like I said earlier. Uh, and we were able to work it out so that students were able to go from group to group um, with like a gap in between. There might have been like a, a group that, that a kid wasn't in in between. So we just made sure that that logistically everything worked out so that there was literally no awkward transition. And if there if there had to be a really big awkward transition, that just became our intermission. So if there if you need one, then you can you can use an intermission to buy some time so that you don't have any awkwardness uh within the uh flow of your concert itself. Uh 
Okay, in keeping with the uh, make sure your flow is intentional um, and make sure that you're not programming sort of arbitrarily, um, make sure that every piece is important to your audience. This is probably the largest piece uh, of this episode that I, I want to really send home to everyone in Choir Nation. I want you to think about walking an art museum and the fact that every single piece in an art museum is special. There's a reason why it's hung on the wall. There's a reason why that statue is there. There's a reason why somebody decided that it was important to put that piece of art in the museum. And you are the curator of your own musical museum. I want you to think about that, about how big of a responsibility that is. Every piece that you choose needs to have a reason why. Now, I tend to do type theme theme type concerts. The one tonight is called Love, is called Love Songs, and I'm approaching it as um, um, how in, sort of inspired by how the Greeks have um, multiple words for love. You know, you have love for, you know, you have romantic love, love for a child, um, love for a sibling or, or family member, um, love for the world and nature. So there's all these different words that mean love in, in the Greek language. And, and so I am programming songs that are, that signify love for different, you know, different types of love, I should say. And, and so every single piece stands on its own as something really, really beautiful. And it's not something I just sort of threw in, um, Every single piece means something. And, and I share that with my audience. And I, I want to make it as easy for them to follow as possible. So, so share it with your audience. You know, literally, if you have to talk about why you programmed this piece, that's what you should talk about. It is your job as a choral director to share that information with your audience. You can do that through program notes in your, in your program. If you're not the kind of person that likes to speak, but I love speaking, so... I, I'm happy to uh, speak with my audience about that. Uh, I want to make sure that all the programs contain text and translation. Now, you may be saying, well, what if, you know, what if I don't have the budget to print a million pages in my program? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll get there in a second. So I think that all texts and translations should be in your program, even English pieces, even popular music pieces. My philosophy is that it's important for the audience to see the text in its original form. If you're setting a piece, you know, if you're setting a piece by Shakespeare, for example, we're doing Sino More Ladies um, from the Emma Lou Deemer, um, the Three Madrigals, uh, which is which are three Shakespearean pieces. Um, I actually take the text in its original form, in that sort of sonnet form, and put it in the program. Why? Because I think it's important that it reads the way Shakespeare wanted it to read. Uh, and then they can, the audience can look at that, and they can listen, and they can they can create their own artistic opinion about uh, what we just sang and how it applies to them in the context of their own lives. So, so uh, print everything in your program. Now, if you have no budget for printing a million pages, then you can make an e-program available. Which so I use Canva.com, and when you download um, the PDF, you could just throw it up on a link and actually show you how to do this um, in my Canva course on Teachers Bay Teachers. So if you want to go to the, um, if you want to go to my, my website uh, under resources, you will find my, uh, my Canva course. So choir.ninja forward slash resources. And you will, you will find it right there. And I explain how to make it an e-program available to your, con your, your um, audience members. 
Um, the other way you could go about doing this is project texts on the wall. Uh, I happen to have a lighting booth that has two projectors and it projects to either side of the stage. Maybe you have a projector in your room you can roll out and, and be creative with, but make sure the audience gets to see the text. Uh, you, you, know, you don't need a budget in order to make sure the audience sees the text. The other thing you could do is just read it to them. Um, if you really have to read it to them, you can read it to them. You don't need to maybe um, read every text, but at least you could start with a couple that are, that are really, uh, that really meaningful uh, for you until you have the budget uh, to, to print or until you have a video projector or something like that. Um, so that's, that's how I feel about this whole, this whole text thing is just make sure they see it. Uh, introduce your pieces. Like I said earlier, you don't need to introduce every single one before every piece, but um, try to find a way to put the piece in context historically, politically. You know, what was, this, what was the story? Why did the composer or the poet uh, write this piece? Um, why did you program this piece? How did this fit in the overarching um, context of, of the concert itself? Uh, so there, you know, there's a little bit of a vulnerability piece there in sharing uh, information about the piece, uh, factual information, and also sharing your reasons why you programmed this piece. So the next thing I want to talk about is assuring that there's a balance within the program. I have been to programs that was like funeral dirge after funeral dirge. And I've also been to programs where I'm like, wow, okay, like you are catering to my 21st century ADD, you know, um, the tempos vary, the texts vary from heavy to lighthearted, um, the length of the individual sections are varied, you know, for example, in tonight's concert, we were singing My Spirit Sang All Day, that's like not much over a minute long, um, and then we also have uh, longer pieces like um, Dan Forrest's Good Night, Dear Heart, which is, a, which is a lot longer. So you have a lighthearted text followed by a much deeper text. You have a up-tempo followed by a ballad. Uh, things like that are really, really important in making sure that your audience stay engaged. I'm not going to talk long about it, but I do really believe that you should have a little bit of that ADD programming in your concerts uh, because you're speaking to a a, an audience that is not uh, a, you know, especially if you're in a school situation or even in a community choir situation, you're, you're speaking or singing to an audience that is not choral music educators. I mean, even me as a choral music educator, I get bored myself um, uh, listening to concerts that don't have, that don't have real intentional programming uh, and ones that, that vary uh, and, and have balance and things like that. Because, I mean, it's just... I don't know. We're in the 21st century. We are like, go, 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 you know, nowadays. And I think it's your job to make sure that an audience enjoys your concert. You're not there to beat them over the head with choral music. You're there to, to help them to appreciate it uh, and, and learn from it. And I think you need to make it as easy for your audience to learn as, as possible. That being said, your concert should really pack a punch. I think about concerts as French portions. When you go out to a French restaurant, you may have a small, a small portion on your plate, but you are going to have some damn rich flavor. Uh, so I think that there's, there's something about um, keeping your concerts short and sweet. I am a 75 minutes or below uh, concert programmer. If it's more than 75 minutes to me, it's two concerts. 
So, so if I can't keep a concert under 75 minutes, I'm going to program a second concert. And so I, th- I think it should be, have tons of balance, should really mean a lot to your audience. And it should be short enough where your audience is like, man, that was fantastic. I could go back and do that again, you know, in a month or two, which is probably what's going to happen. Instead of like, I have a captive audience, let me hold them captive and bar the doors for two hours. All I'm saying here, folks, is that false imprisonment is illegal and that you shouldn't have a concert that lasts over 75 minutes because it's just rude and it probably should be illegal. Lastly, let's talk about making sure that we send your audience home humming. You know, there is a good reason for people ending concerts with spirituals. It's because it's upbeat, it's hummable, it's things that people are going to leave, you know, tapping their foot to on the way out to the car, um, which would make walking to the car a little bit weird. But uh, anyway, um, there's a reason why people tend to use spirituals. Now, I don't, I'm not saying you have to use spirituals, but like the end of a concert is a great time for a pop song um, or maybe a, like a really nice contemporary ballad that people know or something really, really meaningful. But there's just, there's got to be some, you know, nice bow on the end of your concert that makes people glad that they came. So whatever that is for you, I mean, for me, it used to be in our spring concert, we always used to sing For Good because um, that, that became a tradition. So maybe you have a tradition. Uh, maybe, I know Adam Paltritz would not agree with me, um, but uh, you know Adam's pretty much against uh, singing the Hallelujah Chorus at the end of every winter concert. Uh, but maybe for you, that's the tradition. Uh, maybe you always program a great spiritual or, or something pop at the end of every concert. Just make sure it's meaningful Make sure that it leaves the audience with a really good feeling in their mouth that they cannot wait to come back to the next concert. So that's just, it's just a marketing piece, really. Um, it's, it's a nice way of, of putting a bow on the end of a concert and making the audience feel good for attending. So, uh, Choir Nation, I really hope you enjoyed this podcast. Uh, we have a big reveal on Friday. Uh, this is the 14th of April. 2017. So make sure that you tune in on Friday. This is a big deal, people. Um, We got big news for the Choir Ninja podcast on Friday. So make sure you join in. Uh, If you don't want to miss anything, make sure you sign up for uh, my emails. If you go to ryanguth.com or very soon, choir.ninja. I am sort of in the midst of getting everything uh, current on the choir.ninja site. Uh, we are transitioning from, from ryanguth.com to choir.ninja. There's no .com, it's just .ninja. Uh, make sure you support Sight Reading Factory. Uh, you won't be able to have concerts as quickly and as efficiently if your kids don't know how to read music. So uh, sightreadingfactory.com is the number one tool to use to engage your choir in some really meaningful sight reading uh, practice at levels that you choose with different parameters that you choose. There are even student accounts. That being said, you get 10 free student accounts when you sign up with my promo code. So if you go to sightreadingfactory.com and use the promo code NINJA, you'll get to uh, enjoy 10 free student accounts with your regular account. Um, So and you can order a whole bunch more student accounts too, but uh, uh, which are also really inexpensive, uh, as is the actual program itself. So uh, head on over to sightreadingfactory.com, check them out, go to Choir Ninja sometime this week. It will be up. I am working really hard to make sure it's definitely up by Friday the 14th. 
Choir Nation, if you found this episode helpful, please share it. If you know somebody that might enjoy it themselves, please share it with them. Uh, make sure that you join me on Facebook at the Choir Nation Facebook group, uh, which is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Choir Nation, or just search it up in the search bar on Facebook itself and join us there. If you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash Choir Ninja. Again, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Choir Ninja. And believe me, your dollars make a big difference. Thank you so much for joining me, and I will see you on Friday with the big news. Choir Ninja Show. Wa-bung-bung.